Hello and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George, uh, joined with Anna, Scott, and Seth, and we are so glad um, that you're listening from wherever you're listening from. Um, We're glad to be back here for another week. We want to talk about what's really going on here. That's a question. What is really going on here? Um, We get stuck in a toxic life when we stop looking for new insights and fail to stop and ask, what's going on? What's really going on here? That question creates openings for making new discoveries that help us no longer feel helpless or hopeless by changing the way we've been looking at things. So when we're surprised by adversity, whether that's health, work-related, relational, or financial, how do you respond? Do you revert to old negative thoughts or do you look for new answers? Scott, how can asking these kinds of questions lead to change in perspective that helps us get unstuck? Well, it was, I heard Richard Rohr say it the first time, but or somebody else, but they were quoting Einstein saying that you cannot solve a problem from the same consciousness that caused the problem. And it just, and I heard it years ago, but it didn't really strike me until I was writing this book. And I was thinking about that, just how powerful that is, because that's really, again, what I was trying to create thoughts around for this book, that um, if I'm thinking, the thinking that originally got me in this predicament or the struggle that I have, and that's the thinking that I'm trying to solve the problem through, which means I'm still seeing it the same way and I'm still holding on to the same things, then it's going to be impossible to change it. I've got to transform my consciousness. I have to transform how I see myself. Now I see the answer and I have to be willing to empty out. And I know we keep talking about co-creating, but but this is, you know, the, the path of this transformative process begins with, allowing God to, he and I, to co-create a new way of seeing things, a new way of thinking about things. And then from that, which is to me a consciousness. And and then when that transforms, I will be able to make different choices. And they're not going to be choices, George, that are, that are extrinsically just being forced on me. I'm not being pressured to make these when I really want to revert back to my own stuff. It's no, I see them differently. I see my life differently. I am different. And God is at the center of that. And I want to make different choices. It becomes intrinsic. And that is life changing. Yeah. So you, you're talking about something that's happening within where you're really asking, can I change the way I'm thinking about this? Is the way I'm thinking about this uh, part of the problem? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's a tough reality to face. But when you're really willing to to, to go there, Something opens up, new possibilities opened up. And yeah. Anna, talk a little bit about how it's it's just so easy to revert back to patterns and things, well-learned responses. So how do we first become aware that, yeah, we're, we're just kind of falling back on this thing that's hurting us more than it's helping us? Yeah. Well, um, you know, under acute stress, people will typically revert to their automatic responses, right? Uh, when we're under... Yeah acute stress in our brains, our, our amygdalas are, are triggered, which is kind of like our lizard brain, um, which is just like fight or flight. Okay. Um, and when science has shown that like when, when that part of our brain is triggered, we actually do not have connection with our higher functioning logic. 
and reasoning. And so it's really, really important for us to even recognize like when we're feeling that kind of acute stress, paying attention to like the signals our body is sending us uh, to find ways to regulate our body. Uh, Things like deep breathing, meditation, mindfulness, going for a walk, um, because we need that kind of regulation to even have access to our, our logical brain to be able to like look and find another perspective um, to think through what our choices are to really engage that, that um, sacred space between stimulus and response. So awareness really is the first step because without the awareness of when we're feeling triggered, um, we're not going to be able to move on to a different type of response than what we're conditioned to do. Yeah, and often when we are doing these kinds of self-reflection, um, often we're doing damage to ourselves. Let's talk about how we could approach that in a different way, Seth, um, maybe from a place of curiosity, a place of exploring more from a positive place as opposed to you know beating ourselves up that we feel like we're stuck. How can curiosity become our friend? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you named that word curiosity because I, I think um, it is key to getting outside of our regular, any of our regular automatic habits. Thinking about what Anna was saying, which was really beautiful, um, this word came to mind: homeostasis. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's this kind of basis ground of what feels most like us, what feels most like me. And then there's this other word that's not as well well known called allostasis which is a way that we project into the future to know what could happen to more quickly get back to homeostasis. And so that, that stuff is always operating so that we can feel like um, what is like most us, you know, and we don't mm-hmm. want to get out of this rut that feels most comfortable, you know, so that brain is always trying to conserve energy for the sake of sticking with the norm. So curiosity doesn't come natural for us if we're operating from survival, uh, which is what the brain is wired to do, is to keep us alive, hands down. Mm -hmm. And so curiosity is one of the most important practices, I think, for um, training ourselves to start thinking differently. There's that that old phrase, curiosity killed the cat, Mm. um, which I think is just a, a way for the the powers that be, the system that's in place uh, tells you to, to not get out of line. Keep, keep uh, you know, stay in line with how things are supposed to be because you'll mess up the system. But in order to grow, you've got to practice curiosity. You've got to practice getting outside of how things have always been. I think of, I forget if I've shared this, this story about my, my kids before or not, but we do this thing where, I, where we practice the five senses together outside. Mm. And... We, uh, I asked them, you know, let's just go through the senses and we'll do smell and taste and touch and hearing. And the idea is that you know you you can walk by a tree that you always see and your mind's already labeled it tree because to keep having to think about what that structure, that that crazy thing is, you could study that thing for hours and hours and hours because there's an infinite amount of beauty and curiosity to be explored in that tree. But your brain has already labeled it. So using the senses, you can become curious about this, this tree and, and be with it for forever. That's how you actually encounter even something as it is, not as you are, not as you have already projected the label onto. 
So curiosity, I think, is a huge practice for for being with someone, actually, you know, in the present moment, not through our old lenses. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Seth. That is, uh, so do your kids, how do your kids respond to that, that, that tree when you're asking them to use other senses? Are they, do they sniff it? <laughs> Are they um, touching it? I mean, like. Yeah, yeah, well, they how, do. How, I mean, they think uh, it's funny. You know, it's still for, for most of my kids, it's, it's a funny thing that they don't realize what's happening. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hopefully trusting that this is building something in their minds, you know, yeah. at some point. Dad wasn't just silly. He was trying to teach me something, you know, so. Yeah. You said you you said the only thing stronger than fear is what? Yeah, oh, it was from a kids movie we we watched a couple years ago. It's called Smallfoot. There's a line in the movie that stood out to me. They said um, the only thing stronger than fear is curiosity. Wow. So we need to all be more curious, mm. using more of our senses to uh, think about where we're at, what we're experiencing. So that's definitely a, a more open and beautiful way to live. That is such a useful thing for us in the world we're living in today. Pretty much hands down, everybody is struggling with some measure of anxiety, right? And it, that anxiety is induced by fear. And so instead of letting that anxiety shut us down, let's be curious about what's causing that anxiety, what's creating it, and like why and what can we do maybe to find a different way around it or through it. What's really going on here, Scott, is it's our inability to let go. Mm-hmm. And it's our need to understand more deeply we do have an ability to let go. But, but when we feel stuck in these moments and what's really going on, we, we need to let go. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? How we hold on to uh, some predetermined outcomes? Well, I heard this, this quote years ago and I've used it for a long, long time, but it was that we fiercely cling to what we know. And um, what I know is the old mindset, is the old way of seeing, the old lens, the old consciousness. And uh, when I was, all of this inspiration for this book was coming together for me, as I've told you before, George, I was, I studied kenosis, and I heard about that word, and that kenosis was it letting go, emptying out. Mm. And then when I read uh, Beyond Love, this Roar's autobiography of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he said St. Francis had the gift of always staying young, always being fresh, always being new. And he said his God was never old, his God was never tired. So St. Francis mm-hmm. did not hold on to old things. And they say the, the only way that we can, can be now into new things and a new way of being, we have to make room for them. If we're still holding on to the old, it will defy the new, it will it will thwart the new. So we have to make room. But I tell you that the letting go of controlling and letting go of, of old patterns, even when they're dysfunctional, it's it's almost systemic in I think in the human condition. We that's the hardest thing for our journeys, I think, is that transition to a new place, to a new consciousness, means I got to give up control. I got to let go. And uh, and that, I think, is very fearful to human beings who are addicted to control. And so mm. um, so my response is, I, I have found that to be true so much for me recently, is that I feel like in the last seven months, God has worked 
with me more than ever to help me let go of old way of seeing things, especially how I perceive God to be and how he works in my life. Um, I'm, in the book, I talk about asking God to surprise you. Well, God, that's, that's a beautiful way to approach God. Surprise me, Lord. Show me something I've never seen. Show me something new about myself. Show me. And one of the things I talked about in the book is at age 80, which, you know, the closer you get to that age, the more you're like, you know, you know, we've always heard that thing that the older we get, the more set in our ways we get. Well, I'm, I'm actually trying to transition to the opposite. I'm letting go of everything I've ever thought, ever seen, ever believed. And even in my belief on God, and that Moses at 80 was able to transform what he believed and saw. He saw God, and God surprised Moses immensely. And he surprised me. And I'm finding that um, I was telling Anna and Seth, this is, and you too, you were there Friday, that um, some of the things that have occurred to where I am in this time of life, I've been kind of depressed about it. But I found that the depression has lifted. I still may be lonely. I still may be sad. But there's a hopefulness that is growing as I let go of old ways of seeing things. And one of those old ways of seeing things, Rain, was it's too late, it's, you're too old, you've missed it, which is leads to despair versus no, the best is just beginning. I hadn't even entered into the best period of my life. And who knows, maybe at 80, the greatest things that will ever happen in my life will come. That's still far away, but that's... Uh, but I'm, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm telling you, that mindset yeah. is life-changing. Mm. Well, you know, the, the statistics mm. on retirement are dismal of, of how mm. it affects people. What a beautiful prayer. God surprised me. Yeah. yeah. God surprised me. Um, I can't think of a more beautiful posture of the heart. can't think of a more beautiful prayer of complete openness. Um, how does that work out, Seth, Anna, your guys' lives, that prayer? God surprised me because there's got to be something new in the midst of all this that I can grow into and move yeah. toward. Absolutely. I think when you get to a point in life and you realize the the patterns that you've been living in uh, for a lifetime have not served you well and that you need to break out of those, but you don't necessarily know what the new normal is going to look like or what it, it looks like to be whole and healthy that's when you do need to just press in and say, I'm open, I'm willing, I don't know exactly how to get there or what it's going to look like, but I'm trusting you, God, to guide me and lead me and unfold your perfect plan because you know better than I do what I need. That's beautiful. Seth, what surprise look like in your life, your journey? Um, this brings to mind um, something that I have told couples that I've worked with mm -hmm. in the past that... We don't fall out of love with a concept. We fall, or sorry, we don't fall out of love with a person. We fall out of love with a concept. Hmm. And it's it's just this idea that, you know, we fall in love with the initial idea of someone. And if we don't learn to grow with the person that grows, you know, we fall out of love with the old idea we had of them. And that's not the person they are today. In fact, I'm not even that same person from back then. Um, maybe I'm, you know, confusing myself for that as that, but, but yeah, I think, um, we, we tend to conceptualize things. Like I mentioned earlier, um, because our, our brains are wired, you know, to, to conserve energy for 
survival. We It is an important aspect of labeling things so that I don't have to keep figuring out what in the world that is. What is that? What is that? But it's, it's, it's valuable, but it's also a hindrance to us because no longer do I think I need to be surprised by this thing that is infinitely knowable, that is, which is every single person that I come in contact with. I think Anna, I know that label, that's Anna. And I, I can, you know, so I don't have to keep getting to know Anna when in fact she's growing every day, multiple times a day. And I think in order to actually honor the person uh, and the personhood and the experience that is Anna, uh, I need to come in open to the surprise that is Anna, that is that she is in process all the time and that all of us are, you know? So I just, I think actually that is what it means to love someone is to allow them to be who they are um, every moment of what they're becoming, not the conceptual idea that I need them to be that I, that I know that's how I stay in control of this relationship. But yeah, I think that's, that's the value of surprise. And I think that's what God is always inviting us into. It kind of reminds me of the words of Jesus where he talks about um, you hold on, you hold loosely to your life. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the way you find it. But you grip tightly. You're you're holding on to things, and we could do that about ourselves. We could do that about others. We could do that about our relationship with God and the divine. Um, yeah. So it's more of a posture of relaxing and opening, opening hands, opening hearts, opening minds. Yeah, that's that's a much better way to live. Well, Scott, um, you in the book, you uh, uh, Richard Rohr. And two questions that he asked when facing adversity. I want you to speak to these, but he says, um, uh, how does my self-image demand that I react to this? And the second question was, how can I get back in control of this situation? So these are not, uh, to ask these questions, you know, really determine how we go through adversity more healthily or more. Yeah, I mean, it's the... You know, my self-image is, my, my, for me, it's also my, my false self. It's all being driven by my ego. And uh, usually I, I'm not going to be honest in how I face it. I'm going to, how can I, mm-hmm. this is all about how this is going to affect my self-image and the person I'm trying to project you, I want you to believe. And then that second one is that, you know, kind of like Seth was saying earlier, is like, I find that if I'm more concerned and controlling my environment than being truthful, then it's it's just mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna so I, what it does is it's insanity. I end up doing the same things over and over, getting the same results. Those are great questions. When so, so Scott, Scott, you would stop in a moment and go, in this moment, am I trying to control my situation more than I I want to be truthful? Exactly. To the and, and, and you know, we talk about this in our groups all the time. I can be dishonest with you in so many mm-hmm. different ways, and one of the ways I'm dishonest is withholding my truth from you because mm-hmm. I, wa- I want to control the outcome more than I want there to be truth because truth always brings risk. Well, they may see me in a negative way, they may not, they may not, you know, and that's that is such a negative pattern and and once that becomes a pattern that's what we do that's how we respond to life it's always about controlling it's always being driven by the ego and that's where that you know the, the truth sets us free and but more than just the truth sets us free it's the the ability to risk the truth 
to risk my my environment, risk, and that environment includes my self-image, how this affects me, mm. what you think of me. Um, mm. And uh, I have the perfect quote to drop in here. Drop it, man. Drop it away. <laughs> <laughs> it's from a, a guy named Ram Das. He says mm -hmm. that uh, we can only tell the truth when we cease to identify with the part of ourselves we think we have to protect. Mm. Say that again, Seth. He says, that, we, can, we can only tell the truth when we cease to identify with the part of ourselves we think we have to protect. Wow. That dropped hard. Yeah, that's, some, that's a truth bomb. Because mm -hmm. real quick, we, we just that core desire for all of us is I, I want you to love me. And if I tell you the truth, I risk that. You know, you may mm -hmm. reject me. And then... And I lose that control, that the controlling that outcome of that desire that I need to have. And so, um, it's it's a powerful truth. So, and controlling, trying to control things will exhaust us, won't it? Oh, there's something <laughs> very life giving and freeing when you finally just go. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk the side of truth more mm. than than control. That is certainly yeah. a more helpful way to live. It's exhausting, but it also it, it goes into every every area of our lives too, right? Mm -hmm. It brings about emotional distress. It brings about mm -hmm. physical um, symptoms. It's influencing everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Bre Brene Brown says that. She goes, all of our neuroses, all of our addictions mm -hmm. are all going to come out of that dishonesty. Mm. Well, uh, let's let's call this the ego, the ego that wants to stay in control. And Anna, uh, the ego is the enemy of the spiritual life. When I'm talking about spiritual life, I'm talking about human beings thriving. Right, coming um, closer and closer to wholeness yeah. and to yeah. yeah, what it what it looks like to mirror the divine because our ego is limited, right? Like it is it is not divine. It is only a fraction of it. And it often is wrapped up in our own wounds and our own dysfunctions. And so when we can move beyond that, or we can um, seek to grow it, enhance it, um, inviting more of the divine in and letting go of who we think we have to be, that is when we become more fully ourselves. Yes. How do how we get there, we don't have to do that alone. We can do that with the help of others. Hopefully we have other people that could walk with us in that but let's talk a little bit about this ego and how we can detach from it. And uh, Seth, you you had something that was really really helpful here. Yeah, I you know I think often the words the word ego and false self get conflated mm -hmm. because there is value. There's there will always be value to on some level to having ego because ego means I. Uh, I am and I am not that. Like ego is how you have the concept of up versus down or left and right or or this is green light, red light, you know. I'm not, I'm, I, the ego is what helps you not get into a car wreck. It's the unconscious ego. Let me just this, read this, um, this quote from James Finley that helps parse mm -hmm. out the, the distinction here. He says that the false self is not the ego, which I, again, I think people conflate this to all the time. He says the false self is not the ego. The false self is an illusion of the ego about itself, mainly that it has a final say in who we are, that we are nothing but our internalized beliefs, convictions, and strategies, and goals, and attainments. 
So the, the ego is the limited things that I've identified with, the limited parts of me that I think is all of me to the, to the exclusion of the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where I think, uh, that's where we, what we're trying to work with. That's what we're trying to become more curious and expand outside uh, these limited set of beliefs about myself. That's what we're being invited beyond. Yeah, that's what Anna's speaking to. That the yeah. the, the the divine is beyond just what we're realizing. So mm-hmm. um, we're much more than that. Wonderful way to begin to expand how we're showing up in the world and what we're becoming in the world. To think that we're more than what we already are, but at the very same time, where we can grow into more of the best parts of us. Scott, you that that line you said in here that remain open, ask God to surprise you. How's that playing out in your life right now? Can you give me an example of just a way that you're being surprised? God has really surprised me in the last seven months. Um, by I, as you guys know, I have these whiteboards all over my house, and uh, I had since I have so many, I had to get smaller ones I could just put on the walls. And I got this little one, and I have it right on the door, right beside the door when I walk out. And it says, um, who, go create today. Go create mm-hmm. today. And so I wrote that every day I have the opportunity to make room for the new. Every day. So I have to pay attention, be conscious of old messages, old patterns, and, and immediately empty them out. And then, and then replace them. So I have here, make room for the new. Give God the space. Go create it. Surprise me, Lord, by letting, helping me let go of the old, the tired, the broken, and replace it with the new. So if at any stage of life a person can begin to believe that they can co-create with God, Dr. Leaf says that we are all co-creators of our destiny alongside God. God leads us, but we have to choose to let God lead, to surprise us. God has given us this intellect and this consciousness of our minds to be co-creators. So it's uh, it's not passive. It's, it's not like, well, God's going to magically do this. I have a part in this. I participate in it every day. And uh, and Br- what Brene Brown says about hope is that, that it's creative and creativity is a sense of empowerment. So God is empowering me to co-create a new me, a new life. And I can begin at any age, at any stage of life, no matter what we face, by changing what we believe, what we think, which is why I think this book would be such a gift to anyone who picks it up. Coming back to this day, Seth, what's really going on here? What, what What's one way you want us to, to leave this podcast thinking about? Well, Richard Rohr has a book called How learning to see how the mystics see or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, um, but, it, but it's kind of, it's the idea is, is learning to see beyond that regular conditioned way we would um, react from a certain stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what else is here rather than our regular conditioned way of responding or reacting? And I think sometimes mm-hmm. it can be as simple as uh, just taking a, deep, a deeper breath and kind of relaxing in this moment and giving myself, you know, some space to let the water kind of become more placid again. And then receiving, asking myself, what, what is here? What is here that I couldn't see before now that I'm, now that I've become present. 
And uh, one of my favorite ways to realize what, what it means to be present is when my mind and my body are in the same place. Uh, so when I feel my physical, my sensation of my feet on the ground and my hands on my lap and I hear the sounds out, outside and I'm actually in the present. Okay, now, now that I'm in this grounded place, what is here that I didn't see before? Mm. So what's going on here? You could either be fully present, mind and body to the moment, or you could be somewhere else in either of those. Yeah, it's With virtual virtual thinking and placing mm-hmm. the conceptual thinking onto what I'm seeing right now versus mm-hmm. my heart is open to be affected by what is actually here. And I can actually now encounter something as it is. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say what's going on here is either I'm fully present and mm-hmm. with my heart, my mind, my body, or I'm, or I'm not, or I'm distracted in some way. Yeah, I'm virtually mm-hmm. living, yes. Yeah. yeah. Anna, one, one final parting thought for our listeners from you. Today. Yeah, I think pre- what's going on presence here? is important and mm-hmm. um, embracing the world um, as it is, not as I desire it to be, and recognizing that um, my desires might be possible, but that doesn't mean that they have, like the world doesn't have to look exactly like I imagined it might, or that, or my life doesn't have to look exactly as I imagined it might for it to be good. Like we start from where we're at and we can't, mm-hmm. uh, we can't do that if we're like Seth said, not fully present in the moment. If we're living in the future because we want something to transpire so badly, or if we're living in the past because we're bound up by regret and we're not able to really ground in the present moment, we're not going to be able to move forward in a healthy manner with all of ourselves. Wonderful. Well, let's end with the thought. Um, we want to invite all of you listeners to ask God to surprise you. Hmm. Um, in the book, uh, Scott quoted out of Genesis where Jacob awoke from his sleep and thought, surely God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And so let that seed be planted in your heart. There's probably a lot going on, but there's probably many things that you're not aware of that are at work, guiding you toward health, healing, hope, thriving, and more wholeness. So although every one of us is on a different path, friends, we are all traveling the same human journey. So no one has to go this alone. Uh, Please visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about online and in-person groups you can join. We'd love to journey with you somehow uh, along the way here. But over every mountain, there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. Mm -hmm.